1 Peter chapter 5. And 1 Peter's in your New Testament. It's kind of towards the back. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, we also have uh, some chair Bibles around. I'm going to wrap up this mini-series of sermons on a leadership or biblical leadership. We did a sermon last week. And let me just be as blunt and candid as I possibly can this morning about what we're talking about. Uh, so that way, it's just going to feel a little bit different. We're still going to open up the Bible and talk about Christ and really honor God with our teaching from the Bible this morning. But we have a definite agenda as a church that we're working on. And we are asking the members of Cross Point Church to vote on a new constitution. In two weeks' time, uh, there will be a vote, and the only thing on the ballot for our members is a new constitution. It's a yes or a no, and that's it. And um, based on our current constitution, in section one um, of our current constitution, it says this. The Constitution may be amended by a vote of 67% of the members present. So what that means is, is that we're giving our members a new uh, Constitution. We need a quorum of our membership to show up on December 4th at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And we need at least 67% of our members to vote for the new Constitution that the elders and I are proposing to our membership. This document goes on to say that any amendment to our current constitution should be given at worship services no less than two weeks in advance of the meeting, which is why you have the copies in the back for all of our members and non-members. What we're voting on is in the back. There's also absentee ballots, but this is exactly two weeks before our membership meeting uh, that, that is on, again, December 4th at 6 o'clock. Now, if you're not a member or you're a longtime attender but still not a member, this is still incredibly important for you to hear because what we're communicating is our vision, our perspective about biblical leadership. Uh, you're going to hear about the direction of our church. So um, this is still incredibly important for you to hear, especially if you're investigating our church. All right, so I just want to be very clear about what we're talking about. The most important thing for us is at, at, at Crosspoint is, are we moving in a more biblical direction? That's the big question for us at Crosspoint. Are we becoming more biblical in our structure, our leadership, and the way we operate as a church? And that's the question that, I, that I'm burdened to share and answer for you this morning. Let me read the passage that I want to talk about this leadership structure from. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and then I'll pray, all right? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us pray. 
God, I come before you this morning and I just ask that you would empower, influence, that you would guide this sermon, this message, um, that you would lead us to the truth of Scripture in a way that glorifies you and benefits people and, and is a blessing uh, in, in a way that, that you are honored. God, as a church, we're seeking your will. We're seeking to be led by you. We want to be a biblical church and in every facet of our ministry. We thank you that you've given us members and visitors and people who are investigating what the Bible says and what the gospel means and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we just ask that this would be yet another step in becoming more effective at that, most importantly, being more biblical. I thank you for this church, and it belongs to you, and so we are happy to surrender it to your influence in moments like these. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about leadership, the Bible says that leadership exists to make disciples for Jesus Christ, that the goal of leadership is not for privilege or honor or power or money, or leadership in the church doesn't exist to create celebrities in the church, right? Leadership exists to make disciples for Jesus Christ. As a church, we believe that the core message that we believe is that Jesus himself humbled himself, came to earth, died on a cross, and defeated death. He becomes the model He becomes the reason for the church and the reason for leadership. And even in this passage of 1 Peter chapter 5 and so many other passages, beloved, Peter is saying that elders in the church should lead the church and that elders should lead the church in a way that looks like Jesus Christ, sacrificial, under his authority, um, for his glory, and everything like that. What we are proposing as a church to our members and what we are suggesting to anybody who wants to come and enjoy fellowship here is we are proposing what is called an elder-led church government. That the church would be led by a group of servant leaders known as elders. And that's what Peter seems to indicate here. Now, what I want to do using this passage And other passages in the Bible this morning is I want to communicate to you uh, that our constitution that we're proposing reflects this elder leadership. I want to give you a biblical picture. Now, it's so important when we talk about these things, you need to know about Crosspoint. The only infallible document we have is the Word of God. There is no other infallible document around here. There's no such thing as a perfect church constitution. Does that make sense? We believe in the Bible. We also don't believe that you have to be a member of Cross Point Church to make it to heaven. The only way anybody makes it to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? We are not a church where you're like, hey, man, you're, you're at the only gate to heaven right now at Cross Point. That would be ridiculous and heretical, right? So we don't believe that. You need to believe in Jesus to make it to heaven. And the Bible is the only word, is the only document that is perfect and fallible, and we believe inerrant. Okay, so that, that's the thing. But we have to come up with documentation to tell people outside of ourselves how we relate to the state and how we, how we are going to self-govern ourselves on a practical level. 
All right? So I know it's exciting. Say, man, that's exciting. Okay, see, it's not. Okay. (laughs) But I thought it might be insightful for you to know the different kinds of church government that you experience at any given church. Most churches govern themselves according to three broad kind of models or structure, okay? And let me give those to you so that you get a feel for the idea of church government structure and models that you probably have experienced in different churches. The first known and historic church model of government and how a church is led is known as the Episcopalian church model or government. How many of y'all have gone to Episcopalian church before? Okay. How many of y'all gone to Catholic church before? Okay, uh, and so there's different, a lot of main, main, uh, mainline denominations can be considered Episcopalian in their church government. And you can see from the structure what it looks like. In an Episcopalian model, there's an archbishop who's over a bunch of bishops over regions. And then one of my favorite parts about the Episcopalian church government is you've got the rector who is the authority in each individual congregation. A rector is a pastor. And I'll be honest with you, just kind of totally transparent with you, I am very tempted to be Episcopalian. You want to know why? Because there's only one boss in the church. Can I get an amen? If you're a rector in an Episcopalian model, you are the ruler of your church government. You get to make the decisions. Now, you're held accountable by the bishops and then by the archbishop. Now, in the Catholic Church, the ultimate bishop is who? It's the Pope. He is the bishop of Rome. He's the bishop of all bishops, right? And he gives oversight to everybody. But in the Church of England or in the Episcopalian Church and and in some forms of the Lutheran Church, this is kind of the model that you have as an Episcopalian Church. Now, I don't want to shock anybody right now, and I don't want to be overly provocative, but if you're visiting today, I got news for you. You are not in an Episcopalian Church. All right? If you were, I'd be wearing a robe, and I would be the boss, and I'm not the boss. Okay? So you're not an Episcopalian church. You don't have to worry about that. All right. Now, the other form of government that you're going to experience in different churches is known as a congregational church government. And what this means is that the authority of the church is ultimately in the membership of the church. Now, there's different flavors to the congregational church government. You get all kinds of different sizes and ways that this is expressed. But ultimately, this kind of represents what it looks like. The congregation has the final authority and ratification powers over various things. And then there's a pastor and there's some type of church council. Sometimes there's elders, deacons, deaconesses, an administration board or trustees or something like that. And they create committees and come up with church staff. And ultimately, at various different ways, they represent and send representatives to Their uh, leadership teams and the congregation has the final authority on most important things. Now, again, there's different levels of congregational form of government. Some congregational forms of government, like you can't change the carpet unless there's a church vote. Have you all ever been in a church like that? You know, like if you want to move the organ from the right side to the left side, like you got to call a membership meeting and like we got to vote on that, right? And... uh, but then there's, there's looser and broader. Now, you are currently, right now, our current constitution is a congregational church government. Why? Because what our current constitution says is that members send representatives by vote 
to various teams, whether it's an elder or a pastor or a deacon or a deaconess or an administration board. As a matter of fact, most uh, congregational forms of government are based on our current United States government and its constitution. In our very own constitution that's currently um, our governing document, in Article 2, it says this about Crosspoint. It says, The government of Crosspoint Church shall be modeled after the government of the United States of America with three branches consisting of Board of Elders, Board of Deacons and Deaconesses, and Board of Administrators, with unique qualifications, selection, and dismissal procedures, duties, and ministries, and term limits. That is very reflective of a congregational model of government. Now, I have to tell you guys something. I love America. God bless the USA. Can I get an amen? And I fly the flag out in front of my home, and I am grateful for veterans. I'm grateful for a land where we can preach the gospel and we are free. But our conviction after years of studying scripture and books is that the way God indicates that a church should be governed is different than the way a state should be governed. Does that make sense? And that it's not correct for a church to model its government off of the United States Constitution. So I got news for you. There were principles about leadership before the United States, right? And, and there's, there's ways that the church should be governed that's different than the United States of America, okay? And so that's a congregational form of government. Now, here's the third form. These are broad, but here's the third form. It's the Presbyterian church model. How many of y'all have been to a Presbyterian church? Awesome, okay. And so the Presbyterian, there's a bunch of presbyteries, right? And they give oversight to uh, regions and areas. And then each church is called a session, right? A session. And the session has elders that govern the local congregation. There's a group of a plurality of elders that shepherd the local congregation. And those elders of that session are then responsible to the presbytery of how that works. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. Probably the closest model that we are proposing to our membership is closer to a Presbyterian model of church government where our session or our church is guided and shepherded by a plurality of elders. However, the difference, of course, is that we don't belong to any other extended denomination. This is an independent church. We're autonomous. We're self-governing. And so what we're proposing is an elder-led form of church government. So you're like, okay, well, what does the proposed structure and leadership structure look like, and why is it so important for your mission and everything like that? And that's a great question. So moving from those models to what we are proposing, we are proposing an elder-led church government, and the way it works is really outlined beautifully in 1 Peter 5 and then other passages I'll give you. But what, the, what we are wanting to reflect in a new constitution is the following outline and picture of governance. And the first point that our Constitution wants to point out is this. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of our church. Amen? 1 Peter 5 says this about Jesus in verse 4. Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And some People might say, hey, you're, you're going for elder rule. Like what you're proposing is an elder rule church. And I'm telling you, we are not proposing elder rule. What we are proposing is a 
is a, is a, is a, is it bad? Is it going to keep popping? Good. Okay. Let's Test check, test check. Okay, does that sound good? You guys good? Where was I at? Something about Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, and that's no, that's no minor confession. That's not over-spiritualizing. Let me tell you that one of the things that we have to remind ourselves as a church often is that the leader, the chief shepherd of Cross Point Church is not any one man except for the God-man Jesus Christ who defeated death, who is risen, who said in Matthew 28, I will never leave you. Until the end of the age, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And where two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, There he is in our midst. And our challenge as a church, as members, as leaders, as visitors, is to come under the authority of Christ, to believe that he's living, and to believe that every time we come to Scripture, we can hear his voice. Every time we pray to him, he will bring us before the Father. Every time we come to his throne of grace, he will provide strength in our time of weaknesses and need. As a church, we're like any family or any individual. We're going to come into seasons where we're desperate, where we're hurt where we're going through hardship and it'll be our challenge and the test of our faith to keep coming to Christ and the sufficiency of the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. Who builds any local expression of the universal invisible church of Jesus Christ? He does. He plants it, he builds it, he blesses it, And in some cases, he can even shut the doors of a local church. In fact, he says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, when he's rebuking the church in Ephesus for growing cold towards doctrine and theology, and not towards doctrine and theology, but growing cold in their relationship with him, he says this in Revelation 2 verse 4. He says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And what he's telling that church in Ephesus that had good doctrine but was cold in its relationship with him, is he saying, if you don't repent of that, of, of that coldness, I will shut your doors. I'll take your light away. I will shut your church. You know, something like over 3,000 churches in America are closing their doors every week in America. Did you know that? And we ask ourselves, you know, who closes those churches? Who does that? And the answer is the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords shuts those doors. Because when churches get off doctrine, when they drift away from the truth, when they compromise or water down scripture or fail to make Jesus priority, ultimately they will slowly die. And many of you all know churches that are slowly dying. And Jesus will shut those churches down. Jesus builds his church. He's the chief shepherd of the church. And this is not, I know this sounds obvious. You're like, man, that is so obvious. Like, you're just trying to, like, be, you know, overly spirit. Of course you're supposed to say that because you're pastor of the church. But listen to me. Our natural tendency as human beings, as believers, as a church, as families, our natural tendency is to drift away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It is. And it's our job to remind ourselves, man, it is Christ plus nothing that makes us right. 
And as a church, we want to do a lot of good things. I mean, we want to help the poor. We want to help our community. We want to help our youth. We want to help our children. We want to do great things in the, in the, in the ministry, and we want to do great specialized things. If, if God would give us the power and the resources, we would help people in various kinds of suffering. But at the end of the day, if we run out of resources, if we can do nothing else except for come and worship Jesus Christ, we are a powerful church and a powerful force in this world. This is the priority of our life. We are Christians, which means we are little Christ ones. And when we make Christianity about something other than worshiping, celebrating, and asking people to be made right with God through Jesus Christ, when we make it about something else, whether it's being hip or cool or or some other priority, man, we are losing the centrality of what we are about. The mission is to be in relationship with Jesus, to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. And therefore, we say he's the chief shepherd, and we come to him and we depend upon him. Many of us, we have different agendas or preferences. We have different circumstances, have different talents and gifts, different levels of income. What is going to keep us united in our diversity? The unity of our faith in Jesus and continuing to come to him. Amen. And therefore, we can be a multi-generational church, a diverse church in every category, and yet we can be powerfully united as we remember that it's all about Jesus Christ. And may God give us the grace to continue to come to him and remember he's going to come back. The chief shepherd's going to appear, and he's going to give us an unfading crown of glory if we are faithful. And we want our constitution and our church to reflect the centrality and the primacy of of Jesus Christ. Here's the second point of the picture that we are offering to our members and to everyone as as an appropriate model of church leadership. The second thing, under Christ is the elders of the church. When you come back to 1 Peter chapter 5 and you look at verses 2 and following, you can see how seriously Peter takes eldering or being an elder, a shepherd of the church. He says in verse 2, He tells these elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter is clearly telling these elders you have a decision to make as elders. And the decision you have to make is how are you going to model your leadership? Are you going to be a domineering kind of a leader? Are you going to be aggressive? Are you going to rule with an iron fist? Are you going to, are you going to be the kind of elders that, that use your leadership for your own purposes like a false shepherd? Or are you going to model your elder leadership off of Jesus Christ and redo in your congregation what Jesus has done for you and for all believers, which is to lay his life down? down. Leadership is sacrifice. Amen. It it is not privilege. It's not honor. It's going low in service. And Peter is telling these elders of these local churches, you need to model your leadership off of the sacrificial pattern of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you're going to be held accountable. And who is the elders accountable to? Tell me, just yell it. Jesus, isn't his name great? It's great to yell his name, isn't it? 
the name above all names. And that passage is saying that the chief shepherd's going to come back, and guess who's going to stand before him? Every elder that that was an elder of a local church, and they're going to have to give an answer to him. They're going to have to talk to him. And isn't that wonderful for all members when you think about elders? Like, man, you're going to have to give an account to Jesus. And is there anybody else who's qualified to give the elders an account? Absolutely not. Jesus is ultimate. And Peter's like, listen, you guys better get this right. It comes down to you. Now, if Peter is indicating that they have to make that kind of decision, what he's also indicating implicitly is is that local congregations are shepherded by a team of elders. And the quality of a church is going to come down to whether they abuse that leadership or they don't. Can I get an amen? There's no other way to safeguard this, guys. And what we tend to do as human beings is we say, you know what, we're going to put a bunch of safeguards in our constitution to make sure that the elders do what they're supposed to do so so that we can keep a good control over them. And what Peter is saying, like, look, elders either elder for the glory of Jesus or they elder for their own glory, and they're going to give account to Jesus, so it's up to them. And that tells me that elders should be the shepherds of the church, and then they have to decide how they're going to use that power. It's It's that simple. And doesn't that mean for us that we need to pray for our pastors and our elders? Doesn't that mean we need to go before God and say, please help them to have a humble heart and not a proud heart? You know who struggles and who's tempted by pride every single day? Me. I'm tempted by it every single day. And just like any other leadership role in the world, it's so seductive to make leadership about yourself which is why it's good that God says you don't need one rector, hallelujah, amen. You need a plurality of elders who are holding each other accountable so that if one starts to drift, the other surrounds that one and says, hey, man, bring it back. You're starting to, you're starting to dominate. You're starting to have a spirit, a dominating spirit. You need to come back and stay humble and stay true to theology and stay true to scripture. And then the congregation gets to know, man, they're shepherding us well or they're not. And you know what? We live in a free country. And you know, if I'm at a church and elders stop being about Jesus and the Bible and doctrine and theology and they stop having a humble heart, you know where I'm going? I'm hitting that door. I'm going to go find me some elders that are going to be like Jesus in my life. You know, and I'm not asking our elders or myself to be perfect. And please, please do not put your elders on a platform of perfection because no elder is perfect. But you should pray that they are qualified and they begin to look like and they're growing to be like Jesus and that the direction of their life is towards a biblical heart and a biblical man. Amen. You see, elders. You say, who's the elders at Cross Point Church right now? Right now, we have three elders. I'm an elder. Cameron Easley's an elder. He's in this service. Greg Hill is an elder. And then we just confirmed over the weekend after a massive vetting process, like an interview process unlike no other. There was hot coals, and we took, we took them through this, but we just confirmed over the weekend, in fact, yesterday, that Mark Friday will be joining our elder team as an elder. And that's so exciting because Mark has got all this experience in being a pastor, an associate pastor. Now he's a teacher at, at Peoria Christian School. And he's got all this, he's got, he's got like so much more experience than I do or any other elder. He's going to bring such a seasoned, biblical heart of Jesus. And he's going to be great. And you know, there's your elders, man. And you got to pray for us. Can I get an amen? 
because we are asking you to support our leadership as, and as you grant us leadership in your life, we want to redo in your life what Jesus has done in our life, which is lay his life down. And we're not going to be perfect, but that is what we're calling our church. But listen, here's the thing. In two weeks, if you're a member, you're not voting for me or Mark or, or Cameron or Greg, hallelujah. You're voting on, is this model of leadership right or wrong? Is it biblical or is it unbiblical? That's what we're voting on. You're not voting for a person. This is not the presidential election. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah, because Brad's like, you would not be a good president, right? So, yeah, so, so you're voting on, is this model of elder leadership, is this the right model? Now, in this picture of elder leadership and this structure that we're trying to implement for the glory of God based on Scripture, what other roles are there in the church community? And let me give you the third piece of this of this. Uh, constitution that we're proposing to you that we think is biblical in this constitution is a diaconate all right a diaconate what a diaconate is is that's a fancy word for deacons and deaconesses it's another team that are the helpers to the elders in this area the practical benevolent compassionate mercy ministries of the church If elders are making sure that the word is being broadcast, we're making more and better disciples for Jesus, we're giving oversight to doctrine and theology, the diaconate is making sure that deeds are being done to those who are being left behind in the congregation, the needy in the congregation, the elderly in the congregation are well taken care of. You know, you might not know this, but as people get older, sometimes they can't come to church anymore, and so they need communion brought to them, or sometimes we need a team of people who are making sure that they're getting other members to help uh, elderly people get to church or take communion to them in their homes or make sure that they hear the word of God. And I'll be honest with you as a church that we've given that some, in some cases we've, we've um, overlooked some of the needs that need to happen in the church. And we want to form a diaconate ministry of deacons and deaconesses that are focused on this. In the Bible, the deacons were created in Acts chapter 6 when widows were being overlooked in the early church. And man, when widows start getting overlooked in the church, man, people get upset. Can I get an amen? And so people were getting upset. And so what the apostles did is they said, we need deacons to come and make sure that the daily distribution of food gets to the widows. And so the deacons were created so that no one would be left behind as the church is advancing the gospel and making more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. And so our new constitution calls for that kind of focus of our diaconate, benevolence, compassion, mercy, and even continuing to add added help to like things like our food pantry. And then maybe possibly later on down the line to dream about things that we can do in the community. If we have the resources and the people and we're doing well, we can go out in the community and help people build homes or help people with their physical needs in the community as a witness to our gospel and the message that we believe. Here's the fourth piece of this new constitution that we think is biblical is there are members Believing, regenerated members of Cross Point Church. And members have a dynamic role in the body of Jesus Christ. And let me read to you about members from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says this. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And in the Greek, that's one word, shepherd teachers. It's kind of, it's kind of hyphenated. Shepherds, teachers, and shepherds, teachers would be your elders, your pastors. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now what that's telling us about biblical leadership is that good biblical leadership, the outcome should be that the members of a church are doing the work of ministry. Good biblical leadership doesn't mean that ministry is being bottlenecked by a select few or anointed few or a few pastors do everything. Hallelujah, I don't want to do everything. Good leadership is releasing ministry, empowering ministry, training the members to do the work of ministry. Every member at Crosspoint is a minister. Every member at Crosspoint is a missionary. Every member has a role to play, and every role counts in the building up of the body of Christ until we're all mature in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If our members don't get equipped to do ministry, we can't make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. So when we serve on our greeting teams, when we serve on the, in children's ministry, when we serve in youth ministry, when we serve on the music team, when we serve as ushers or, or flower power or the L crew, when we're all doing our part, we're building up the body of Jesus Christ. You know, the preaching is only one aspect of our ministry. You know, what, what did Winston Churchill say when he stopped being prime minister of Great Britain and he said to Great Britain, you know, you are always a lion. I only provided the roar. And you know, when we preach the gospel, that's the roar. But you get to be the body. You get to be the lion. You get to be the body of Jesus Christ as members. And so good leadership is going to equip and provide platforms for our members to do ministry. And what we ask our members to do is to give us four T's in their lives to help us to make more and better disciples. Let me give those to you really quick. Four T words. The first thing, we ask our members to give us your testimony. Share your testimony out in the community. Tell people that you believe in Jesus. Tell us about how you've come to Jesus. Continue to preach Jesus and love Jesus. Um, We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Revelation chapter 12. We have a testimony, and we ask all of our members to know what their testimony is about how they believed in Jesus and to share their testimony. The second T is to share your time. We all are busy. I know in my home, I've got a girl in ballet. i got another one in piano. My wife homeschools. We, we, We are constantly going. The older my girls get, the more I feel like we're dragged to the four corners of the earth. How many of you all felt like that in your family before? You're just like, Wow. And so what you have to do is you got to budget your time and you got to say, hey, this is our priorities. And what we're asking our members to do is to prioritize your time in such a way to where you can give us worship on Sunday morning consistently. You can join a life group and you can join a ministry team and help a ministry team do its ministry. So time, testimony. Here's the third thing is treasure. We ask all of our members to be committed to a biblical portion of giving, which we believe is a biblical tithe. So we ask our members to budget their finances to where they are giving their tithe. We are an independent church. We depend upon our members to be faithful givers so that we can do the mission. And then the final 
uh, the final T is talent. You have talents, you have gifts, God's given you passions. We're asking you to use your passion to see where the greatest need is in the church and in the world and to join that spot to advance the gospel in the world. You are the church, you are the light of the world, and you're the real ministers of Cross Point Church. Good elder-led churches will have a strong diaconate and a strong membership doing the work of ministry, where ministry is not being protected by a select few, but it's being released to the many so that the body of Christ can grow up in a way that will honor God and reach more people. Here's the fifth piece to our new constitution is believers. And there are believers in our church who are not members of our church. You're not officially a member. Again, hallelujah. Being a member of Cross Point doesn't get you into heaven, right? What gets you into heaven is faith in Jesus alone. And I don't want anybody to ever think that becoming a member of our church makes you more special with God or more favored by God. But what we are asking our believers to do is to do exactly what members, what we ask our members to do, which is join our ministry teams. We ask our families to join our children's ministry. We ask our, our believers who are, hey, this is, this is my church right now. Hey, listen, come to our life groups. Join us and do what members do. And then begin to investigate whether you're ready to covenant with our church and to become a member, loving us unconditionally. Don't date the church forever. You got to get married you got to commit somewhere and say, I am in with you people in the good times and the bad, when you're rich, when you're poor, when everything's going great in revival, and when there's seasons of dryness, I am in with you because you preach the Bible, you love Jesus, and that's what I'm going to do. And so that's what we ask believers to do. Here's a sixth piece, non-believers. And in every church, including our own, there are non-believers who come here every week. And i got to say about that, hallelujah, praise God. We want unbelievers to come. If you know an unbelieving friend, you don't have to be a believer to come on Sunday morning or to, or to be a part of our life groups. We want you to investigate the gospel because what we're asking you to do as a non-believer is cross the line of faith and believe in Jesus Christ. Your job is not to give money or, or, to, or to, you don't have to serve or give anything. Your job as a non-believer is to take what God has given to you in Jesus Christ, which is forgiveness of sins, justification by faith. Your job is to surrender and to receive in empty hands what only God can give to you, which is his love through Jesus. And we want non-believers to come and be loved here. And we want non-believers to understand what the gospel is. And if you're a non-believer, this isn't going to be a comfortable place for you all the time because we preach the Bible. And when you're not a believer, you're not going to like some of that stuff. And so we're going to preach the Bible, but we're going to make it understandable. And we're going to love you because we're all sinners saved by grace. Listen, I'm just a beggar showing other beggars where to get some bread. Amen. And that's our perspective. Nobody's better than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by grace, and so we want non-believers to come and learn about the gospel here. Here's the final thing is culture. Number seven is culture. And as we move from elders and as we have diaconate and as we have members and believers pulling together for Jesus and non-believers who are investigating, ultimately we're praying that that pool will spread as a light to culture and that we will start becoming a church for people who are not even here yet. Because when you go out into culture, you are going out to people who are confused because of the political upheaval, because of sinfulness of people, brokenness in homes. You're in a post-modern world 
post-truth world. This culture is lost. It's withering on the vine. And we have the medicine to bring healing to people's lives. And we don't target age groups. You know, we don't sit in board meetings and say, you know, how are we going to get the people between the ages of 25 and 35 to come to our church? How are we going to do that? Or we don't sit in a boardroom and go, you know, how can we get the people in the upper economic bracket of a society to come to our church? You know, we don't do that. We are a multi-generational, diverse church in every category, pulling for the glory of Jesus Christ, and our target is culture. We target all of culture. We say in a, in a culture of lies, there is truth. In a culture of darkness, there is light. In a, in, a, in a culture of lostness, there is a way to be found by God. In a culture of broken relationships, there is reconciliation in God. In a culture of absolutely falling apart and falling all over ourselves, there is healing. There's new beginning in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus is making all things new, and he's going to bring us a kingdom and a power and a glory that we get to participate forever in his great name, and we will live with God forever in the city of God, a timeless culture that will be the culture we've all been longing for our whole life where there's no sickness and death, and there's a multicolored kingdom of people worshiping God. And we are offering that city of God inside of our culture. You know, can I just tell you, we don't want to be a bubble church. You know what a bubble church is? We go in our little bubble and we say, I hope no, none of those bad people come close to us. I hope, I hope we're just going to be bubble Christians. You know what? We are wide open. We are like, let's go get them and bring them in, man. Let's tell them about Jesus. We're not a bunker church. We're not going to go get cans and bullets and go hide on a hill and wait for Jesus to come back. Like we are a city of God inside of the city of man telling people about God. We want people to be saved. We want to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we are about. And you know what? You ask me, why does the Bible reveal leadership the way it does? The reason why the Bible reveals leadership the way it does is so that we can be more effective for the glory of God and the mission that Jesus has given to us. And an elder-led church government, if you want to call it that, is the most effective way. It gives us the best chance. It doesn't guarantee. You have to pray because it could go bad. Like any Episcopalian structure can go bad. A congregational government can go bad. A Presbyterian government can go bad. Amen? I mean, it does come down to the leaders. Elder-led churches can go bad, but you know what? It gives us the best chance to have great servant leaders who are empowering its members to do the work of ministry so that the gospel can advance in a culture that really needs to hear about God. It really does. So I'm asking you, this is the only time you will ever hear me say this. So wait for it. Are you waiting for it? I'm asking you to vote yes. Yes is the answer. We need, according to our Constitution, at least 67% of our membership to vote yes on the new Constitution. You get to take it home and pray over it and ask yourself, are they being biblical or unbiblical? Are they being right or are they being wrong? And you get to vote your conscience on this new structure. But this new structure empowers elders to serve you, lead you, and empower you to do works of ministry and ultimately to find new leaders who will advance our gospel and our message together. One thing I wanted to point out, I forgot to talk about this. Let me throw this in here right here at the end. 
one of the questions is how does how do, how are elders selected? Okay, that's one of the big questions. How are elders selected? In the Bible, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says that the Holy Spirit appoints elders. Now you're like, well, that sounds really neat, but how does that work? That sounds a little mystical and, and spiritual. Well, the way the Holy Spirit works, the means he works through is that leaders appoint leaders in the church. In fact, in Acts 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas, they plant these churches, and then they go and they appoint elders in the churches themselves. The principle that you find in Acts 14, Titus chapter 1, is that leaders appoint other leaders to do leadership in the church. In fact, good leaders will find, catch, and create new leaders so that there's always an abundance of growing leadership teams in the church, flourishing and spreading and multiplying. So leaders appoint leaders. So our constitution reflects that. Elders go and find and develop new elders. Deacons, deacons are developed. Other leaders are developed in, in churches by other leaders. Leaders find, catch, and create new leaders in the church. Amen? That's it. Wasn't that exciting? You know what we need to do after that is take communion. Amen. Let me pray for us.